you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14. That's where we will be in our study of the Gospel of Matthew today. And we arrive at a very familiar story. A story I'm sure you've heard if you've spent any time around the church. It's the only story of a miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels, which just speaks to its importance at helping us understand more completely what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This morning we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000, which in reality is the feeding of the 10 or 15,000 because the 5,000 number only counts the men. Now, every time we come to a story like this that we've heard many times, I always think it's really important to challenge you to engage. Because when you are familiar with something, it's sometimes easy to check out. I think you already know the details. I think you already know every way that this story could possibly apply to your lives. But I want you to trust that God has something unique for you today. I want you to trust that God still wants to speak to you through this story to help you mine the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this story, and clearly the gospel writers believe this, This story uniquely offers us a complex, full picture of the full work of God through Christ. And here's what I want us to to learn today and see today from our main point. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus shows us his intention to both save us and satisfy us. I'm going to challenge us to think about the fullness of the gospel today, to get a full picture of what God is doing for us in Christ. That Jesus and God through Christ wants to save us and satisfy us. We talk a lot about salvation and rightfully so. It is true that God saves us and we celebrate that. But I also want us to consider that God does not just save us from sin, but he calls us to life. Eternal, abundant life. Freedom and satisfaction are both ours through Christ. Let's consider how Jesus teaches us this reality through this miracle and how Matthew reinforces it through the recording of the narrative. Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, here's what the Word of God says. Now, when Jesus heard this about the death of John the Baptist and the reaction of Herod to that uh, news about Jesus, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is the desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate. And they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. 
That's a pretty remarkable story, right? A, a pretty miraculous display of God's power in Christ to meet the physical needs of the people who are around him. Jesus, hearing about John the Baptist's death, hearing about Herod's reaction to him, leaves to go to a desolate desolate place, likely to grieve, probably to think about his own future, because remember, John the Baptist is a forerunner, and he knows that what what happened to John the Baptist is going to happen to him. So he just wants some time to process through what awaits him, but the crowds follow him. They come after him, even to a desolate place. And when they get there, they find more than they bargained for as we and they get to behold a stunning, miraculous work from Jesus. A miraculous work that shows us the desire of God through Christ to save us and to satisfy us. In this narrative, we get a picture of the whole gospel the the complete good news of Jesus Christ that I want us to make sure that we wrap our minds around today as the people of God. Because I believe when when we grasp and behold the fullness of the good news, that our joy in Christ will be elevated. And we will get to experience in greater ways the abundant and eternal life that is ours in Jesus. So let's let's think about from that perspective how the story of the feeding of the 5,000 shapes and grows our understanding, how it helps us mine the depths of the gospel. How in this story, we see in greater ways the larger story that God is unfolding in Scripture. To save and to satisfy. How does the story of the feeding of the 5,000 accomplish that? Four observations this morning from this story that help us understand more completely the gospel of Jesus Christ. Firstly, observation one, we see divine compassion in the midst of our desolation. We see divine compassion on display in the midst of our desolation. Now, I want to be careful to say here, this is a real story that happens in in the Matthew's gospel. This is not an allegory. It's not a, a pretend story to teach a lesson. Jesus really did this. He really met the needs of a physical, the physical needs of the people who were around him. But I hope that you remember that every one of Jesus' miracles, even though it meets a physical need, has a larger spiritual significance to it. Through the miracle, he's teaching us something. And we want to wrap our minds around that. And the first thing we see is divine compassion in the midst of our desolation. Jesus goes to a desolate place, an isolated place, so that He's not around people, but the people can't stay away. They follow him. And they do so without regard to their own basic needs because they're so desperate for what he has to offer. And I love the response of Jesus here because it's so different than my response would have been in my flesh or likely maybe your response would have been. He sees these people following him when he wants to be alone. And in verse 14, the Bible says he has compassion on them. What would you have said? What would I have said with the the weightiness of what it is that Jesus is considering in light of the death of John the Baptist? Can I just have five minutes? Moms, you know what this is like, right? You're at home with your preschoolers. It's been a crazy morning. Can I just go in the closet? Can I just go in the bathroom for a second and just get a breath? You think you're alone all of a sudden? Mom, mom, are you in there? You just want a moment alone. 
And that would be our reaction. But Jesus, he looks upon this crowd and he has compassion on them. Why? Because Jesus knows his purpose. He knows why he came. He came to a desolate place. He came to a world that was broken and full of sin. He stepped into our emptiness. He stepped into the famine, the spiritual famine that we live in, and nothing could satisfy the deepest needs and longings of our heart. Nothing could fix the physical illnesses, the spiritual illnesses that that hold us back from living in community with God. He stepped into that because of compassion to show us mercy. He looks at them and he sees the reason why they're following him. There there are many who are sick. There are many who have illnesses, according to verse 14. They need me. I don't have the luxury, I don't have the time to sit in here alone when there are people around me who need me. And that is the entire reason that I came. Jesus came because we had a greater illness. We have a disease of sin that is the source of our desperation. How could he turn his back on the very purpose for why he came? How could he ignore the very people he came to save? I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus is not annoyed by you. When you run to him, when you come to him, Over and over again, when you you come to him in your neediness, you are doing exactly what he wants you to do. Because he knows that he is the only place where you can have your needs met. Think about, friends, the compassion, the mercy that God has shown us in Jesus. Think about how lost you were. Think about how needy you were. Think about how desperate you were. And just see God looking upon you with love, sending his son to meet your needs. What a glorious picture of the gospel. As Jesus has set us free from the illness, he has healed us from the illness of sin that has captured us. But he's done more. Second observation. We see divine provision meeting all of our overwhelming needs. Listen, the illnesses were not the only pressing needs. There's another very real need present. As we we start walking through the needs and God's provision for the needs, we're we're moving through the depth of the gospel here. Okay, We're, We're not just thinking about salvation. We're also thinking now about satisfaction. Not just freedom from sin, but the giving of something better. They are literally in the middle of nowhere as evening approaches in verse 15. And the disciples just then become concerned about food. That's how you know no moms were present in the meeting organizing this event. Because moms would have made provision. They would have had snacks and some big old purse. And even if there were 5,000 people... There would have been a mom who said, I think I have enough. Let me just start pulling out the popcorn and the goldfish. But of course, it's only men here. And the people need to eat. Because people get restless when they're hungry. They get angry when they're hungry. And even though Christ has been healing them, the tide could turn when hangry comes out. 
And so the disciples say, okay, we got to take care of this. Why don't we just send them to the villages? Let them go, get their food, and then we can continue to minister to them. But Jesus has other ideas. And he wants to use this moment to teach them and teach us as disciples something unique about the nature of his work and what he will ultimately ask them to do to continue that work. Verse 16, Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Isn't that interesting? And the disciples are, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you have a really firm understanding of the situation here, but there are like 15,000 people over here, and we don't have anything. Maybe we have five loaves of bread and two fish, but that can't feed 15,000 people. There's no way that we can go do what you've asked us to do with what we have. And they're right. On their own, they could never satisfy the overwhelming need of this crown of this crowd. But Jesus wants them to remember they're not alone. They're not alone. And he's not asking them to give out of what they have. He's asking them to give out of what he has. And Jesus can provide for all their needs. So Jesus takes the limited resources the disciples have and he multiplies them to meet the needs of the people. Do you see how the gospel is being portrayed here? Do you see how we are growing in our understanding of what it is that God is doing for us in Christ? Again, we were starving in a desolate place and not just physical hunger. I don't want to ignore the the very real compassion that Jesus has here in meeting the physical needs of this people. We can't ignore that either as the people of God. But he's saying more than that, that you have a deeper hunger, you have a deeper thirst in your soul. I created you with this hunger and this thirst to point you to me, but you're living in a desolate place and you're seeking satisfaction. You're seeking to have those needs met in a place that cannot provide what you need. Humanity cannot offer you what you need, but just at the right time, Jesus came. And friends, he's the bread of life. John 6, 35. He is the bread that will cause you to never hunger again. He's the living water that will cause you you to never thirst again. And I want you to think about what Christ is teaching us here. Remember, he did not just come to save us. He did. He did come to save us. We can't ignore the the substitutionary atonement that Christ provided on our behalf on the cross. He did save us. He has healed us, but he's done more. It's not just that Christ came to remove the power of sin. He came to give us something better. He came to fill us with with what can actually fill us. He gave us himself. He's the provision that meets our greatest needs, which leads us to observation number three. Not only do we see the compassion of God, not only do we see the provision of God, we see true satisfaction coming from God's provision. True satisfaction. It's not just that God provides the food. According to verse 20, he provides enough for us to be satisfied. These aren't just snacks. It's a full meal, friends, that will lead you to never hunger and thirst again. Now, Matthew helps us understand more of what Christ is trying to teach us by offering a picture. And this 
this desperate place. He's utilizing the language of a feast. A feast that Jesus is inviting these disciples and this crowd to where where the head of a house invites guests to come and sit at a table. And look at how he unfolds this in verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Bring the food here to me. And he looked at the crowds gathered around and he orders them to sit down. And then taking the five loaves and taking the two fish, he looks up to heaven and he blesses the food. Then he breaks the loaves and he, he spreads the fish. He gives them to the disciples and the disciples give them to the crowds so that everyone who is sitting around Jesus is satisfied. Do you see the, the progression of a feast here? Do you see the normal table fellowship that would happen in your home happening here? You gather the food, you invite the crowd to sit at your table, you bring the food out, you ask a blessing over the food, and then you have your servants distribute the food. It's a banquet. Now, it's a very different banquet than the kind of banquet we saw last week when we were in Herod's palace, but a banquet nonetheless. And Jesus is a better host because everyone eats, everyone eats until they are full. Now think about now how we're adding another dimension to our understanding of what it is that God is doing for us in Christ and the good news of the gospel. We have been invited into a new household, friends. Not even just as guests, but as family. We've been invited to the table of the Most High God, and He will satisfy the deepest needs of our being. Isn't that good? Oh, friends, are you hungry? Are you thirsty today? Is there a longing for satisfaction in your soul. I want you to hear the testimony of the Bible today. That hunger, that thirst is meant to point you to God and praise be to God that in Christ, you now have access to the very being that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. You need joy. You need love. You need peace. They're found in Christ. And he has invited you to his table to sit, to fellowship, and to eat until you are full. What a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture. Here's a biblical truth that you can hold on to. God was satisfied by Jesus so that we could be satisfied by him. God was satisfied by Jesus so that we could be satisfied by him. Notice the fullness of the gospel there. Yes, Jesus satisfies the wrath of God, freeing us from bondage to sin and the judgment that comes with that. But notice also that we now have, because of that freedom, the ability to be satisfied by him. To meditate on his word, to sit at his feet, to to begin to experience even now the abundant eternal life that is ours in Christ and will be ours for all eternity. And this leads to the fourth fourth observation. We see an abundance of provision from our generous God. Not only does he provide enough to be satisfied, he provides even more. There's an abundance here. There's there's generosity on display here. Don't lose sight of the fact that 12 baskets of leftovers were collected. Now, we don't know the particular significance of that number. It's an important number in Scripture. But essentially, here's what I think it means. All of God's people can be satisfied by the provision of God. 
all of God's people can be satisfied by the provision of God. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We need to believe that God has enough to satisfy the needs of all the people that come to his table. Because here's the danger if we don't have that perspective. In our limited earthly perspective, we think the more people that come to the table, the less that we'll have to eat. Isn't that our concern in life? If we have too many people, we won't have enough food. Every Thanksgiving, at my parents' house, my mom sits there and plans with her sister's Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to have a turkey. Actually, we're going to have two or three different types of turkey. We're going to have a smoked turkey, baked turkey. We're going to have a fried turkey. And maybe we should get a ham. And not only a ham, we're going to have turkey and dressing. We're going to have our chicken and dressing. We're going to have chicken and dumplings. And then we're going to have about 10 to 15 sides and about 30 desserts. And even after all that, the question is always asked, do you think that'll be enough? (laughs) It's 20 people, Mom. 20. It's going to be enough. We're going to be eating on this for months. In fact, you're going to have to put some ham and turkey in the freezer because we're not going to be able to eat all of it until it goes bad. That's our perspective. Is it going to be enough? Friends, when you are invited to the table of Christ, there will always be enough. Always. And when you invite other people to the table, hear me, there will always be enough. You want to know why? Because Jesus has the power to create. I want you to just see the miracle here. He's given bread. He's given fish. And as a need comes up, do we need more? Yes. Here's bread. Here's bread. Here's fish. Here's fish. He's actively multiplying and creating every single thing that the crowd needs in order to be satisfied. And he still does that today. This is not new. God always provides for his people. He's always provided for those who serve him. I'm reminded of a a text that I think is directly related to what's happening here in Matthew 14 and 2 Kings chapter 4. The story of a guy named Elisha. You may remember him, a powerful prophet in the Old Testament who takes on the mantle of Elijah. And there's this odd story in 2 Kings 4 about some deadly stew and then some bread that's served with the stew. Let me just read it for you. Elisha came again to Gilgal. There was famine in the land. Does that sound familiar? Desolate place. And as the sons of the prophets, people serving God were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and let's boil some stew for the sons of the prophets. And one of them went out in the field, gathered herbs, found a wild vine, gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up, put them in the pot for stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of the stew for the men to eat. And while they were eating some of the stew, they cried out, Oh man of God, there's death in this pot. Let me just say this today. If your mom cooked you a meal, don't say that. Because there will be death in the pot. But in reality, there probably was some poisonous herbs or something in here. And they couldn't eat it. And so Elisha said, Then bring flour. And he threw the flour like... uh, you know, dusty powder, not like a floral flower, in the pot and said, pour some of it out for the men they may eat, and they were able to eat. There's no harm. But then a man came from Baal, Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this 20 loaves before a hundred men? 
And he replied, give, to them, uh, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, they ate and they had some left according to the word of God. So notice, even there in 2 Kings chapter 4, God is providing for his people. But now a new prophet has come, a greater prophet has come, and there's greater provision. It was a miracle that Elisha took 20 loaves of bread and fed 100. Now think about Jesus taking five loaves of bread and feeding 15,000. What God began, he has completed. And the provision is only exponentially grown in the greater prophetic provisional work of Christ. There is enough. And friends, this is all pointing to the day when we will finally gather around God's table forever. And we will feast forever. And we will be satisfied forever as the people of God. Revelation chapter 19. Can we just think about that for a second together? As we think about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I heard verse 6. Revelation 19 would seem to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many wonder, waters. We're talking about more than 15,000 people here, right? A lot of people crying out to God, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Seems like a lot of celebration, a lot of satisfaction, a lot of joy. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Jesus is inviting us to himself. He's establishing a new household and the bride is rejoicing in this new household. She's clothed herself in white linen, bright and pure, the righteous deed of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true words of God. I want you to hear me this morning. If you were in Christ, you've been given a taste today, even though you're full today, a taste of a greater fullness, of a better table that you will sit around for all of eternity and the food will never run out. The wine, if there's wine, grape juice, whatever, will never stop. The deepest longings, the deepest hunger, the deepest thirst of your heart will be met fully for all of eternity. And there will be more left over as our infinite God pours out blessing upon us. What a joyous, glorious day that will be. That's the promise. Are you living in that promise? Oh, friends, I just... Oh, I want our church, I want our people, I want the people of God to know the joy that is available to us in Christ. We, just, we weren't just saved from death. We were saved for life. Right? His steadfast love is better than life, as we read in, from Psalm 63. We were, we were given joy, inexpressible, incomparable joy. I want you to know that the void that you are trying to fill sin with, God has given you himself to fill it. We should be the happiest people on the planet. We should, we should have smiles on our faces at all time, regardless of circumstance, because we have sustaining joy. It's not context-driven. It's permanent because of the permanent work of Christ. No, see depth of the gospel here and remember your responsibility to it because if you've tasted of it 
Have you been satisfied by it? You have been called to go and serve it to others. We're setting the stage here for Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus says to all of his disciples, see the need of the crown? Give them something to eat. Peter, feed my sheep. Disciples, go to the nations. Go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are people out there living in a wasteland. There are people out there living in a desolate place. They're starving. They're thirsting. Only I can satisfy them. I'm giving you the food. Will you spread it? Will you pass it out to people who are in need? And friends, we can't do it on our own. We don't have enough. But with Christ, we have more than enough. Let's share the gospel and let God invite more and more and more people to his table so that when the multitude gathers, we can rejoice around that table for all eternity. Amen? How can we respond this morning to this incredible, important text showing us the character of God and the fullness of the gospel. Firstly, let's rejoice in our compassionate God. Can we just rejoice today that God looked upon us in our helpless estate and he did not turn a blind eye? He did not say, just give me five minutes or, hey, I'm done with you. But he looked upon us in mercy. He looked upon us in compassion and he sent his son to save us. He meets our physical needs and he's met our spiritual need as only he can. Oh, what a good God we serve. And friends, let's, let's be sure we're a compassionate people too, right? Jesus met the physical need. There's physical needs all around us. We need to be about that business. But we, we need to make sure that we use those moments of physical needs, the needs when we meet those physical needs to, to expand upon that and show how God wants to do more to also meet your spiritual needs. And he's made provision in Christ. Let that be a thing that satisfies you, leads you to rejoicing today as we can contemplate what God has done for us in Jesus. Secondly, let's look to him alone for satisfaction. Some of you may come in this room today saying, Jared, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Maybe you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Maybe you've never accepted the compassion of God for you in Christ by giving your life to Jesus in repentance and belief. Maybe you've not been saved nor experienced the satisfaction of God by embracing the gospel. Friends, I want to tell you, you can look anywhere in this world, but you will always find desolation. No person, no thing God created can give you what only God can. Stop running. Come to the feast in repentance and belief and trust that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and satisfied. That God satisfied the wrath of God for you so that you could be satisfied in him. Believe that today. Give your life to that today if you don't know him. But if you do know him, sometimes we need to be reminded of that, right? Because it's, it's difficult to maintain that composure in a broken and fallen world. And sometimes we go back to the things that we thought used to satisfy us and believe that lie. 
So I want you to be challenged today to consider the promise of God and remember that he has saved you from the power of sin and he has given you something to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. You don't have to be a slave to that sin anymore. You can choose rather to delight in the Lord. Would you choose to delight in the Lord? Would you choose to believe the promise of the gospel and delight in him? Taste and see that he is good. Believe that he is the bread of life that will cause you to never hunger again, the living water that will take away all your thirst. And then, as the people of God, let's trust in the provision of God. What do we think can actually fill us? What do we think can actually satisfy the people around us? Let's be sure as a church we are constantly committing ourselves to offering only what God says can actually satisfy. Every week when I prepare to come and preach the word of God to you, it's my prayer, and I even echo it when I get up here in the pulpit, that I would only serve what can actually satisfy the word of God. I'm not trying to come offering you the wisdom of Jared. I want you to to hear the wisdom of God because I believe the word of God is what satisfies. That Christ is what satisfies. I want you to behold Jesus, not Jared. I got nothing to offer you. I may have five loaves and two fish, but that's not enough. I want you to behold Jesus. Are Are we making much of Christ in every area of our lives? Are we making much of Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, so the people around us can see what is available to them and trust? Are we relying on something else to satisfy? It will never work, friends. If we've been called to serve, we can only serve what God gives in order for it to accomplish what God desires. And finally, can we long for a better meal? Some of us are gonna go get a great Mother's Day lunch today, but guess what's gonna happen tonight? You're going to be hungry again. Or maybe tomorrow morning, depending on how much you eat. But you're going to be hungry again. But, oh, we've tasted a meal that satisfies us completely. And we are being pointed to a meal that will satisfy us for all eternity as we partake of the glory and being of God. And are satisfied by what only he can provide. Are you looking to him? Are you feasting on him? When you feel that spiritual hunger, that spiritual thirst, are you, are you feasting on what he's provided and are you looking toward that day when all those things will be completely satisfied for all of eternity? That is our hope. And I can't think of a better way to reinforce that commitment than by partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's a physical act that pictures our certain hope. We're going to partake of a meal today that Jesus established that will point us to that future meal. And it will be a reminder to us that God has not only saved us, but he has satisfied us. We'll be giving testimony to that fact as the people of God. Remember what Jesus said in John 6, the recording of the feeding of 5,000 in that gospel He's talking about himself being the bread of life. And he says, beginning in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
What is Jesus saying there? Are we supposed to be cannibals or something? No. He's saying that if you partake of the work, if you, if you embrace the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, if you embrace that sacrifice, that provision, in repentance and belief, you can have life. Life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood, whoever looks to it for satisfaction, right? They have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. We're talking about spiritual realities here, right? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate in the wilderness and then died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's the gospel, that we are being filled, given life by the sacrificial work of Christ? That's the testimony we're about to offer to the Lord's Supper. Now let me just remind us that this testimony is for those who have believed in Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus, we would ask you to not partake of this supper today, but to watch the testimony of those around you who are saying that Jesus is enough, more than enough, that he saved us and satisfied us, and that we're longing for the day when we will be with him around his table forever. And I pray that the Lord would use that to draw you to himself and repentance and belief. For those of us who are in Christ, we need to make sure that the testimony we're giving and partaking of this meal is true. There's nothing in our life that would signify or say that we don't believe that Jesus has saved us or satisfied us. And maybe if there is something this week in your life where you turned to an old well or an old table to satisfy, maybe you need to repent of that today and say, God, I want you to get that out of my life so that I can partake of what I know is good. Or maybe you don't even feel a peace because you're so enwrapped in that sin that you can't get it right today. So you would abstain because you want the testimony that we give to be true. And for anybody to be looking at you to say, yes, I see there's something different in them. They've been saved and satisfied by Christ. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So wherever you are, would you bow your heads before the Lord and just ask him to help you prepare yourself for this meal if you're going to take it? Make sure your heart's right and that you're committed to giving testimony to the fact that the blood of Christ has satisfied us, the body of Christ has satisfied us. And in him we have life. Father, would you help us believe these things live these things that we would recognize our spiritual hunger our spiritual thirst and find them only satisfied in you we would long for you spend time with you feast on your word pray that you would give us more of yourself and Father if any here is not around that table yet would you bring them even now in repentance and belief Help this meal we're about to partake of be a true expression of our commitment to the full gospel. Our declaration that you have saved and satisfied us. And that we as a people are longing for the day when you will come and take us home. 
or we can be with you forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.